1: Effective witnessing doesn't stop there. And you understand that when you witness, you must deal with sin. Nobody comes to know Christ unless they realize they're sinners. You cannot skirt the issue of sin. You have to deal with it. And that's what makes witnessing unpleasant. Because you've got to give them the bad news before you give them the good news.
0: When we say Christ is the answer, people are generally left wondering, but what's the question? The gospel is much more than simply saying that Jesus died so that we could have eternal life. We live in a society that showers us with ideas about God's goodness and love and our own inherent goodness. Popular psychology and a whole lot of popular preachers don't want us to feel guilty. But guilt is a form of pain, and pain is our warning system. If hot stoves didn't make our hands hurt, we'd be running around with no skin on our palms. No pain to tell us that we're damaging ourselves. And it's the same with sin. The Holy Spirit can use our guilt to bring about confession, repentance, and salvation. But for that to happen, we need to be aware of the sin and the fact that God will not tolerate it. He has made provision for it, but we won't take advantage of the provision without an awareness of our need. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. I'm glad you could be here for another lesson from God's Word. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Not long ago, Pastor Steve finished teaching from 2 Timothy chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul gave Timothy some wise instruction on how to survive in the difficult times we all face now and then. Now in chapter 4, Paul gives Timothy a serious command that we should follow as well, even when we're in those difficult times ourselves. Paul said, "...I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Like Timothy, you and I are called to be heralds for Jesus and to always be ready to speak God's truths into the lives of people who need to hear it. Let's look more into those ideas now. Here's Pastor Steve.
1: number of years ago, I picked up a, a picture from uh, the Billy Graham headquarters in Minneapolis picture that has never ceased to move me. It hangs in my office now. It's a picture of R.A. Torrey, who was the first president of the Moody Bible Institute, with with his hand on a young man's shoulder. In fact, it's the artist's father when he was a young man, on his shoulder, looking him straight in the eye, saying, preach the word. I have never forgotten that. I keep that up as a reminder because that is the charge for this day. You can defend it, you can guard it, you can retain it, you can be orthodox, but you must sometime get it out. So we are to be reliable. If you want to be an effective proclaimer, be reliable. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to come up with a whole lot of stories to make it more attractive, and I find many people doing that. Give the word of God. That is the power. That is our calling. The second quality that we need to be effective proclaimers of the word is readiness. Not only reliability, but readiness. We've got to be ready. Look at the, re- look at the next part of verse two. Not only preach the word, but be ready in season and out of season. Now, the authorized version translates this first word, be urgent. And yet the thought in the Greek language is more be ready than be urgent. You could translate it that, but it's really, the word is used more to be ready than be, than, than be urgent or be instant. The Greek word means to stand by, to be at hand. Uh, It was used in a military context to mean to stay at one's post. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is you are always to be on duty. You are to be ready always. In other words, be always ready to proclaim God's word. Preach the word, be ready to, to do it. And that's why he goes on to say in season and out of season. In other words, be ready to preach at every opportunity. Be ready to press home the truth at every occasion, whether the circumstances are favorable, which would be in season, and whether they are unfavorable, which would be out of season. There is no close season for proclamation. There may be close season for hunting, but not for proclamation. Be ready. Opportune times and inopportune times. Now, listen, this is very important. This is not to say, and this is not to be taken as an excuse for being obnoxious. That's the tag and that, that evangelicals have for evangelism. And uh, in many respects, that is absolutely valid. This is not an excuse for rudeness or pushiness. Someone says, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine. It's so, all right, back off. I, I've said to people, can I give you this? And they've said, no. Okay, then you say, well, what do you do then? I don't give it to them. It's just courtesy. So this is not an excuse for rudeness or pushiness or insensitivity. But what it is... What it does mean is we are to take advantage of the opportunities to speak about Christ. Paul said it so well in Ephesians 5.16. He said, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Redeem the time. In other words, seize the time. Buy up every opportunity. Be on the, the the lookout for opportunities. Be ready always. And that's how Paul lived. Paul witnessed in the most unusual of circumstances. If you study the book of Acts, you will find the man who practiced what he preached. Paul, for instance, he's on a stormy sea, and everybody thinks that the boat is going to crash and they're all going to die, and Paul says, wait a minute, an angel of my God appeared to me, and, he, and the guy starts preaching. Not one hair is going to, to be lost, and all of this, and he goes on and on, he uses that opportunity when men are fearful to speak about Christ. He's on Mars Hill in Athens, and he comes across a statue that says, to the unknown God, now, most of us would take pictures of it so we could show it back in the church. Here's the unknown God. Paul said, aha. And as he stood there, he said, gentlemen, and to the Stoic philosophers, he said, gentlemen, let me tell you about the God who you can know. And he preaches this marvelous message. They call, they, you know what they said to him? Let's hear what this chicken babbler has to say. That's literally what they said. We love to hear newfangled ideas. We love to hear the philosophers. Let's listen to this chicken babbler. And Paul speaks about Christ, and they let him speak until he spoke about the resurrection. Then their Greek philosophy wouldn't allow him to go on. How about in prison? It's an earthquake and soldiers are leaving, and the guard wants to kill himself, and Paul says, Wait a minute, and he preaches the gospel to him. Marvelous. Most of us, including myself, I would have raced out of that prison. I would have been gone. And Paul, no, not him. You see, he he redeemed the time. He seized every opportunity. He was ready in season and out of season. In prison is probably out of season. How about Paul in the temple courts in Acts chapter 22? There's a mob. There's an uprising. He speaks to them and he, and he has the frame of mind to speak to them in Hebrew. When you're in Jerusalem and you're on the tem, and you're on the temple steps and you've got a whole crowd of angry Jewish people in front of, in front of you, don't speak Greek. I mean, it just makes sense. Become all things to all men. So he speaks in Hebrew, and it kind of calms them down. And He, he, he proclaims the gospel. That's Paul, ready in season and out of season. However, where did Paul learn this? He, he was just like the master. Jesus was like that. You study the Gospels, and you see that Jesus spoke in the most amazing situations. He, he had what we call a parabolic approach to life. That is, he would be walking with his disciples, and he'd say, you see the the uh, the birds of the air? You see how the Father takes care of them? That's the way it is with you. Every opportunity, in season and out of season, a woman at the well, He said, he said to her, he said, listen, you're thirsty for water? That won't quench you. I can give you water that will always satisfy you. And she said, give me that, tell me about it. Then he uses the illustration of the gentle blowing of a breeze, the night air in Israel, to explain the new birth to a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. You can't figure out where the wind is going, you can't figure out where it came from. So, the Spirit of God blows and people are born again. And you don't understand that? You're a leader in Israel? See, that's the master. In season and out of season. After a tired day, Nicodemus, a a very wearisome day, Nicodemus comes to him at night and Jesus didn't say, sorry, the office closes at six. No. Ready. Always a readiness. You see... This is, this is what it means uh, that you are uh, to be ready in season and out of season. You are always on duty looking for opportunities to give a witness. Now, sometimes, you don't force it. I've been in situations which I wanted to say something, but it would just be forcing it. But be there and be ready when the opportunity presents itself. Now, let me give you an example. Your Sunday school class would be in season, but Thanksgiving dinner with relatives who don't know the Lord and perhaps are antagonistic to the Lord and someone brings up something about a religious situation and they say, what do you think? That's out of season. Go get him. That's what he means. Be ready. For me, in the pulpit would be in season. But I tell you, when I'm at my son's little league game and I'm standing next to someone, he says, so what do you do for a living? That's out of season, but I need to be ready. And what this means is that you can't let down your guard. You can't let down your guard and and say, "Listen, when I'm in church, that's when I'm ready to speak." You, you caught me at a bad moment. I didn't have my quiet time for three days. I can't speak to you. I knew somebody. I knew somebody at uh, at Moody who um, she was going to uh, to work. She worked at a, as a maid uh, after school, and uh, she was going to work at this house and. Uh, we spoke about uh, witnessing, and, uh, and she said, oh, I, I can't witness today. I don't have a track with me. That's not what, what Paul means by being ready in season and out of season. Well, it means you don't let down your guard. You are always available to the Lord to speak for him when it's convenient and when it is inconvenient, and your minds and your, and your hearts need to be so filled with the Word of God that when the opportunity is there, it just spills forth. You can't be out of touch with Christ. Let me show you what I mean. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. This is a wonderful truth that uh, we ought to memorize and hide in our hearts. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Set him apart as Lord. Always be under his submission. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. In other words, when Christ is reigning in your life and somebody says to you, listen, why do you believe in Christianity? You don't say, well, come to church on Sunday and you'll find out. No, you tell them why you believe. You tell them what you believe. That's what he means by this. And that's why verse 16 says, and keep a good conscience. You cannot have sin build up in your life and not confess it and be ready. You've got to be clean before the Lord. So effective to be an effective witness means you have to be reliable, you have to be ready, but it also means, there's another quality, you have to be restorative, and you say, my, what lengths he will go to to alliterate. But this is a good word, this is not stretching it, restorative, you say, is there a word in the dictionary? Yes, I looked it up. What does restorative mean? It means that your goal in, in proclamation is to restore people to their right relationship with Christ. We are to bring people along until they are where God wants them to be. Let me explain. Let's look at 2 Timothy again. Preach the word, that is, be reliable, be ready in season, out of season, reliability, readiness, Then be restorative, because he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. This is a process. It begins with reproof. It ends with instruction. It just continues, and it takes place like this. First of all, we are to restore people. The process begins by reproving them. And what does it mean to reprove? Reprove means to reveal sin in a person's life. It is dealing with the mind. That is, as the word of God is proclaimed. Remember, it all hinges back to preach the word. You expose people's sin by revealing God's standards. And as God's standards are proclaimed, a person's sin is exposed as being in violation to that standard. That's what reproof means. To show an individual he's off target, she's off target. Reproof simply makes the sinner aware of their sin. But secondly, rebuke. Now, rebuke is similar to reprove, and you, we often think, well, they're the same thing, but if they're the same thing, Paul wouldn't have mentioned it here. He separates them. Rebuke. Rebuke takes it a step further. To rebuke is to state disapproval of one's sin. Now, keep this in mind. This is important. This is very important as you're witnessing. While reproof emphasizes the sin and it reveals the wrong, rebuke convicts the person that they are wrong. There is a fine line of difference. Reproof convinces them of error. Rebuke convicts them of error. To reprove, let, let me illustrate it this way. For example, let's say a person is, is in the sin of adultery, guilty of adultery. Reproof would make that person aware that he has violated God's standard. But rebuke goes a step further and it says, not only do I want you to be aware of that, but you are convicted, you are guilty of that. Reproof says, I'm aware it's wrong. Rebuke says, not only is it wrong, you're guilty. It deals with the conscience. It deals with the heart. Reproof deals with the mind. Rebuke deals with the heart. They both deal with the fact that procl- proclamation is to expose sin and to, and to bring conviction to what has been exposed. But effective witnessing doesn't stop there. And you understand that when you witness, you must deal with sin. Nobody comes to know Christ unless they realize they're sinners. You cannot skirt the issue of sin. You have to deal with it. And that's what makes witnessing unpleasant. Because you've got to give them the bad news before you give them the good news. But he goes on to say an exhortation. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. What is exhortation? It means to encourage, to plead with a person. To admonish them. What well, Paul is saying that, is saying that after dealing with someone's sin, don't leave them there, but encourage them to correct that sin. Encourage them to move on. Exhort them to get things right with, with God. This is the word that Paul uses in Romans 12, uh, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. It is a pleading. It is an exhorting. It is saying, now that you know you're wrong, correct it. We don't just leave people in their sin. We tell them what to do. You see, the point of all of this is to move people along to to a behavior pattern of righteousness. To be an effective proclaimer, you must be one who wants to restore people, not just blast them away, not just tell them how wrong they are. Listen, many, many pulpits in America today are simply blasting people away, but they never tell them what to do. They never tell them how to get right. They never tell them that they need to correct themselves. They just are yelling at people and telling them what's wrong in their lives. If you're struggling with that class of yours, those Olympians in the youth group, that fellowship group, then what you need to do is follow this, and you need to reprove, and you need to rebuke, and you need to exhort, but look what he says. He goes on to say, with great patience and instruction. Now, that is so critical. That is so critical. We are to be patient. Great patience and instruction. You need patience. One of the most difficult aspects of the pastorate is that you see people who ought to change and they hear God's word week after week and still no response. An effective proclaimer is patient. All part of this restorative thing. You want to bring someone and recover them and restore them and you've got to be patient. Why? Because this doesn't happen overnight. You don't restore people to a right relationship and fellowship with Christ overnight. You've got to be patient with them. Now, you want to grab them in exasperation and say, don't you ever change? But God is patient, and we're to be patient too. A woman told me some years ago that she used to attend a very uh, large church. In fact, if I mentioned the church, you, many of you would know it, not in this area, but a very large church. And she said, I noticed something, that after the pastors were there for a while, they yelled at us. They yelled. I think it means they were losing patience. They were losing patience. They just they, they yelled. Lack of patience. So if you're going to restore someone, be patient. But however, that last expression is so important, end instruction. Patience never operates without instruction. The patient, herald is patient while he is instructing the people in God's word. Instruction. In other words, you can't just bowl people over and telling them what's wrong with them. You've got to instruct them. One of my great contentions with pulpits in America is that they tell people what sin they're in, but they never instruct them on what to do about their sin, as I said a few moments ago. You've got to instruct them. You've got to know what's expected of them. You've got to give them doctrine. You've got to give them teaching. You can't just tell them that they're wrong all the time. You've got to tell them what to do about what's wrong and how to live properly, and most don't do that. Most people are very negative. Don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this, but what should I do? That's instruction. You've got to tell them what God wants of them. You just can't blast people out of the saddles and tell them everything that's wrong with them and not tell them what's right and not tell them what to do and not tell them how to get back on righteous behavior. The point is that effective proclamation doesn't leave people hanging. It brings them to a restored relationship with Christ. So that's really the things that we have to consider. In these last days, when people really are uninterested in the Word of God, what do you do with them? Well, you confront them. You, t- you speak to them. You tell them about Christ. If you want to be effective in sharing your faith, in teaching God's Word, in any kind of a, a communicating ministry of Scripture, then it necessitates that you be reliable. Are you reliable? Do you know the Word of God enough to be reliable? Do you know God's word? Are you reliable? Do you, sh- do you know the gospel? I have found that most people give a very, very sketchy presentation of the gospel. They really don't deal with the heart of some of the things that they need to. Man's sin, lordship of Christ, repentance, holiness of God. Are you reliable? Are you proclaiming the word? Do you give it out or do you just share your testimony? Now, it's good to share your testimony, but are you reliable? Do you finally get to speaking the word of God? Do you know the word of God well enough? Are you ready? You walked out of here tonight and someone on the street asked you about how, how can I go to heaven? Are you ready to tell them? Are you ready? Or is it just shh, another Sunday? I'm going to go home and watch the World Series. Are you ready? Will you be ready tomorrow morning? Will you be ready 10 o'clock at night? And that neighbor comes over. And says, I've really got some troubles. Can you help me? Are you ready? That's out of season. Are you restorative? That is to say, do you know the process to bring people? You, will you confront them with their sin? Will you exhort them to correct that sin? Will you be patient with them because it doesn't happen overnight? And will you instruct them so that they know uh, what they're supposed to be doing? That's restorative. Get them back on track. It's all really summed up in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. Reprove them, correct them, then train them in righteousness. Get them back on track. That's what we're to do in these last days. And that was Paul's heart as he knew his ministry and life was coming to a close. He wanted Timothy to pick up the mantle and preach the word. Where are you in your witnessing? A church like ours that tends to saturate us with Bible teaching also tends at times to be unbalanced in evangelism. But where are you in evangelism? Are you witnessing? Are you faithfully giving out what God has entrusted to you? Are you ready? Do you have that attitude that says, Lord, I'm available? I'll speak for you. I'll proclaim the word. Are you available, or are you just into creature comforts? Do you be willing to go anywhere, speak for Christ, before you know where he might send you? That's what you need to be. And are you restorative? Are you one who wants to bring people all the way back into fellowship with Christ? Will you deal with their sin or will you skirt the issue? Will you confront them? Will you be patient with them? Will you deal with the real issues of repentance on their part? Will you instruct them? It may not be a fun thing to do, but this is what the charge is. And I remind you, someday you're going to stand before the Lord. Don't give any excuses then. You won't be able to. He knows it all. Someday it'll be too late. Today, pick up that mantle. It's fallen from Paul into many pieces and run with it. Let's bow for prayer.
0: Thanks, Pastor Steve. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have made provision for our sin, that there is a way for ungodly sinners like me to stand before you, covered by the blood of Jesus and completely forgiven. Lord, would you help us to take an eternal perspective on this life, knowing that whatever unpleasant treatment we might get as a result of sharing your good news will be insignificant compared to the joy of hearing you say, Well done. Help us to sing your praises and give your message with accuracy, courage and tender sensitivity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And this brings us to the end of another Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher for these daily radio Bible classes. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in some Sunday if you're in the area and looking for a place to worship. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Call 727 727-441-1714 441 1714 or visit lakesidechapel.com for more information. Today's broadcast was the last part of a three-part message given at Lakeside. The entire message is available on CD. Ask for your free copy by calling Lakeside. The number again is 727-441-1714. Ask for message 6216, Effective Proclamation. You can also listen again to individual broadcasts at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Go to the Message Archive page. And there's a giving page as well if you've been blessed by Verse by Verse and would like to help support this ministry. That's versebyverseradio.org. And we thank you for your support. I'm Jerry Peterson. On our next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will continue with the charge Paul gave to Timothy to preach the Word. We'll be considering the urgency of that command.